1: You're caught up on the Mandalorian, right?
2: Yeah, man, that show is so good. <laughs> I mean, so good. We knew we knew he was going to go back for him. Come on,
1: yeah. <laughs> it, it turned into. It, I'm telling you, the show has turned into um, Man on Fire meets John Wick. <laughs> oh man, so much fun!
2: In space, so much fun. with yeah, jetpacks
1: and yoda a baby yoda, a baby yoda who's 50 years
2: old <laughs> yo what up jake what's up, what's up? Jake? hello baby
3: how you doing dude i'm all right anthony speaking of mandalorian did you see how uh disney is running around the internet and scrubbing all the little memes with baby yoda
2: yeah i did see that Wait, I what? i don't understand yep,
3: yep this is Hi. this is how disney r- works now that disney owns the whole the whole freaking universe um yeah you yoda's theirs you can't play with it so they take the, they're scrubbing all the little baby yoda memes down oh, wow. right? But do they not know that like
4: <sighs> that's free marketing
2: they
3: mm-hmm. don't yeah they don't care
4: yeah interesting interesting that's do fuck Disney. Fuck everybody who likes Disney. That's fuck what them I all. That's what I say. I, I don't even know. I mean, uh, I'm like, take all your content and put it on your own space. So I don't have to deal with it. That's my feeling. I mean, I, this Mandalorian sounds like trash.
2: You sound like Jade sounds like garbage.
0: Yeah,
4: did you accidentally call the I wrong heard boy? I heard it's rated
2: G. It is somehow. It's it's hyper-violent. It's just they get away with it because there's no blood. It's just like oh. blast shots and shocks. <clears throat> so, very
4: cartoony violence.
2: Yeah, like if an R-rated Mandalorian would just be, he'd be cutting off limbs and shit. Like when they, he, he does blow people up, but they just like turn yeah, into ah. dust. Like, he vaporizes yeah. them instantly, so I guess it's not violent.
4: I mean, is this, like, the animated Star Wars series that it's we're It's a little better like, than that.
2: It's a little okay. better than that. Yeah, it's best better But it than is that. the same guy, just, Jake.
4: The same what guy?
2: Uh, the guy who was the executive producer and creator of uh, Clone Wars and yeah, Rebels. Yeah, Clone
4: Wars. That's the one I was thinking of. But he, I mean, the thing he's is, just the, like a I can't even tell you how much I... I gloss over when something Star Wars comes before my eyes. I, I just fade right out. This trailer for whatever movie's coming out, nothing, nothing penetrated. It's the same footage from every movie. It's literally <laughs> the same footage. They just put a new face Ooh. on a character. Well, oh, it's well, Adam Driver. It's Adam Driver. You know, he's like the new thing.
3: That's the entire. That's the entire uh, concept. So of
4: these big It's so yeah. funny too, because Star Wars is two good movies. That's it. It's two good movies. Wait, which are your two? Garbage. The first two, meaning Star Wars, Star Wars Hope. from nineteen seventy. Uh, what I? Who gives a shit what that subtitle? <laughs> that subtitle did not exist when I saw it. There's two movies, Star Wars. No, no, not number six. Don't
3: you you dare put number six in there. No, what's number
4: six? I don't. I'm talking number one, Walter. Number one. It's 1978. (laughs) No, no, it's number one.
3: 1977. Get it right.
4: 77. Yeah. Yeah, No, the the 19
3: the 19 year old in me is really really. Having fear of missing out with this final movie because I really and truly, it's been my entire life that I wanted this movie to happen. But I really? just, I just gave up after the relaunch of the the the. I just don't care. I just cannot care this anymore. Is,
4: is this like a post Quill tri- trilogy?
3: Yeah, it right? was always this it was always a- it was always conceived that he was going to do three movies and then he was going to go do three before and then he yeah. was going to finish up with the three final stuff. I mean, this culminating thing, you know, but I just it remember never
4: works, though. Well, it never works. The trilogy started- enough because yeah. the third one always sucks. Yeah. Let's third- face it. The yeah. third in the trilogy is always trash. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I can't even think of a trilogy that worked through the third movie. Lord of the Rings. No. Oh, that was horrible. Are you talking about the two-hour epilogue where we had to watch them have a cast party and hug each other and say goodbye? (laughs) That movie was was horrible. That 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 movie was unwatchable.
3: That was the the one that had five endings and I didn't understand.
4: Let's try to tear-jerk you from, like, moment one and everybody's going to cuddle and cry. That movie was terrible. That series was super overrated to begin with. The the first two were good. Not great, but good. The trees were cool. I like the moving trees. I just
1: I just think it's hard for anything to be good for like three when it's three three hours or more.
4: Well they, it's hard. they just overindulge themselves. Peter Jackson, like I, I just don't like when they're so self aware of the ending and they want us to experience their experience of it ending as opposed to just ending the story, you know?
2: Right. Okay. I love the slander, but let's let's talk about a good show. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you mean
4: you liked you liked the number three there, Mace? You were all in.
2: <laughs> I liked well. I liked Return of the King. I liked them all. When I read the books, the second one was the most boring to mm. read. Mm. So the first one and the last one were my favorite. Ahead of that, and then when I was a kid, I liked Return of a Jedi. I don't give a fuck. Like, are you kidding me? Like, new lightsaber, new gear, mm-hmm. Sarlacc mm-hmm. pit, backflips, and shit. You're
4: talking the Ewok.
2: Ewoks you is Ewoks? whatever, but they don't deserve. No, no, slander. but that's the one, right? Yeah, that one. Listen,
4: it was, but even, and I saw it at the theater, man. I saw it at the theater. It was a come down from Empire Strikes Back. Empire
2: Strikes Back is just far and away the best one. Yeah, nothing yeah. could ever top that.
4: And that that was it. What well, you're right. I mean, it's nowhere near as bad as the movies that followed it. But it was such a letdown from number two because. Because the first one was so monumental, and then the second one raised the stakes even higher. Yeah, you know.
2: Yeah, I get it.
4: And there again, that that movie was another one where it was like you had to watch the cast party. You know. <laughs> Chewie didn't get like- a medal,
2: Jake. <laughs> they couldn't give Chewie a fucking medal. A wink and a nod. Great job, pet. Good boy. Here's a treat.
1: No 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 sean no no
2: I've
4: fucking been there. Mais you better fire it up dude.
2: Drive your fucking walleybird The whole world is in the power of the
5: evil one. The devil. And the media that he uses to control the world is television.
2: on the Count the Dings Network, a nuanced discussion about television that captures our imaginations. I'm your host, Anthony Mays, and today I'm joined by Jake Hoy, Eden Liu, Anthony Canton Third, and Walter Mays. This week we're cheating on Hooded Justice with J. Edgar Hoover for Watchmen <laughs> Episode 6, The Extraordinary Being. So this title is an excerpt from Under the Hood, which was written by the original Night Owl Hollis Mason that described Hooded Justice. This extraordinary being had crashed in through the windows of the supermarket while the robbery was in progress and attacked the man responsible with such intensity and savagery that those not disabled immediately were only too willing to drop their guns and surrender. We start this episode with a cold open, the title screen morphs from Watchmen into Minutemen, and American Hero Stories' FBI agents are attempting to make Hooded Justice take his mask off. So they can blackmail him into erasing evidence that J. Edgar Hoover was gay. Mm. So he beats the shit out of them. Dad, what did you think of starting the episode this way with another American hero story excerpt?
3: No, I was fine with that. I, we, I, It was pretty clear it was going to always be when we go back with Will. It was always going to be about hooded justice. So you might as well clear some stuff up. Did you culturally, Anthony, did you know the whole J. Edgar Hoover backstory? Did you know that?
4: Yes, I did.
3: Well, you're old, that's why.
4: It's true. <laughs> I actually went when the Anthony Summers bio came out. I was working at that literary agency for Sterling Lord who sold that bio by Anthony Summers that right. claimed he dressed up in drag and had taken that friend as a lover and they were had a long relationship. So, but I feel like that's become part of the the Hoover lore, but you're right. It's a good question for 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 these millennials.
2: I mean, I wasn't aware. You were not. So you
4: thought that was kind of a joke.
2: I didn't think it was a joke. I just i thought I thought the funny part was connecting it to other famous gay characters in the in the show. I didn't think so much like rumors are rumors, and I knew I know that for we don't know that he did these things. He wasn't outed, right? It was just rumors, alleged and at
4: the time. It, Not, I wasn't even a rumor in in his in his day. I don't no,
3: think.
2: Yeah, he was. He very
3: successfully squashed any knowledge. Yeah. Of this. You'd have to hang around DuPont's Circle to find out whether, uh, <laughs> whether whether anybody knew anything. But but you know they did that movie with um uh DiCaprio, DiCaprio. playing yeah DiCaprio yes. and, and, and yeah Ar- Ar- Army Hammer playing Clive Tolson who was his uh, uh, roommate. Yeah, was
4: so, so that Oliver Stone? Clean Eastwood? Oh, it was Clean Eastwood. Thank you. You're right. Yes, Clean Eastwood. Yeah. I think if it were Oliver Stone,
2: he would have played it up more.
4: Yes, I'm sure he would. <laughs> he would have banged you over the head with it.
2: <laughs> this scene was based on absolutely nothing from the source material. This is an example mm-hmm. of the extrapolation that mm-hmm. JT March the 3rd. Our director and creator of American Hero Story is is taking liberties with the text, especially the part with him actually taking his mask off. Right, right.
4: And also the, the questioning for me of what the noose meant.
2: Yes, them asking those questions, which I think that's something that we'll get to in this episode, is the significance of the, the mask as intended by Alan Moore. Yes. I, I
4: frankly I thought I thought this was a really strong opening. Obviously it was the it's we get we're kinda get the origin story of Hooded Justice. We're gonna get the full story of Will Reeves, and we're also simultaneously getting the origin story of the Minutemen, right? But more than anything, this episode deals with identity as is the show is more and more as each episode builds on the other, there's obviously the race issue at the core of all Mm -hmm. this. But more than anything, it's the question of identity and who we are and who we truly are if we're pursuing an alternate version of ourselves behind a mask,
3: Right. And we also have it It goes hand in hand with the other big theme, which is legacy. Um, mm, but the, right. he's, he's married them so closely to each other um, that that it's almost it's almost inextricable by now. And so that's why I have really uh, high hopes for how, uh, because because if you look at he wasn't in this episode but if you look at Adrian Veidt, he's all about legacy about how he will be remembered about how the world will receive him after he's gone um and uh will saying to Angela in you know the episode i want you to know where you came from i want you to know what your story is uh the the big thing about this cold open for me was it set up um, an exploration of a topic that I haven't decided how I feel, and I've watched the episode twice now, and that is the connection between repressed homosexuality and anger. It is fascinating how that seems to be the driving force of both the fictional and the real Will Reeves life. Um, and I we'll talk about it more when we get when we get to it, but I'm 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 unsettled and I'm curious and I'm 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 undecided about how I feel about it because it really seems to be something very strongly that they are saying.
4: Yeah, and it's interesting that you put it that way because he has enough. Reason to be angry <laughs> already, right? Right, right. yeah, he's absolutely. He's got plenty, he's yeah. got... <laughs> so it mm-hmm. is hard to know if it's a pure thing sexually or or whether he's a bisexual, right? I mean, it's unclear,
3: yeah. They haven't yeah. given us enough, enough data to make a decision, yeah. We don't know anything, yeah. That, w- yeah. I
1: thought, I-, I thought like just addressing that, what you just mentioned, and also the. Just a general trauma of it, um, a trauma of of the whole idea of the hero thing, which is something that most of these these things in iteration don't do very well. I thought this episode was just so well done from that aspect of addressing the the trauma aspect of not only somebody doing the whole vigilante hero thing, but of of a black man as well. Um, all those repressed issues uh angers like his wife asks you know talks to him at the the beginning of the episode about the whole Tulsa thing and how he doesn't really want to talk about it he just wants to move on and as the episode progresses and we see what happens you just see that anger come out in a way that in some ways he doesn't even understand himself so I think the episode did a really great job of just addressing the whole trauma aspect of of what it what it means to not only be a hero but of dealing with all of the the issues, uh race issues and just all those things in general. It's just very well done.
0: Yeah. It almost feels like they uh the way that they set it up is that he became a hero because of PTSD.
2: Yes. So we emerge from American Hero Story in the police department. We're following Lori Blake as she goes to explain to Angela how nostalgia works. She tries to get her to sign a release so they can pump her stomach. And Angela is non-responsive. She slowly starts tripping out as a drum major starts playing. And Angela becomes Will at his police academy graduation in 1938. Lieutenant Battle gives him his badge because the white officer just ignores him. And he warns Will, beware the Cyclops. Later... Will gets beers at a jazz club with June, a reporter for the Amsterdam. June recognizes Will's anger and worries about him due to his trauma being from Tulsa. He says, I don't want to live in the past. The piano player begins to play. And I should mention at this point that all of the scenes in this episode are shot in a way that they flow into each other and overlap. It's really quite beautiful. It's kind of reminiscent of some S-Mail type stuff that he used to do with Robot.
3: By far, this is the most beautifully shot episode of the
2: six I've seen. It's gorgeous. And it's because of the painstaking effort they put into where the camera is going to move in every shot. And they they do fun things like put the police department doors right on the street. Right. So he just walks right out of them onto the street. They They do time lapses where it goes from day to night. And just tons of effects like this. It was really a labor of love. So, Will witnesses a man named Fred throwing a Molotov cocktail into a Jewish delicatessen as Duke Ellington's saddest tale plays. He's played, Jake, by Glenn Fleshler, who is an HBO recycling <laughs> yeah. program all star.
4: Oh, fate, one of the biggest. He's
1: in everything.
2: <laughs> he was in Boardwalk Empire, he's the lawnmower man and true detective. He's yeah. Goron, the Chechen crime boss in yeah. Barry season one. <laughs> That's right. And he's also a little Showtime crossover, because you know, if you do HBO all the time, maybe you dabble yep. in some Showtime. He's lawyer, Oren Bach, in Billions.
4: <laughs> I mean, it's amazing he wasn't in Chernobyl. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Because he wasn't <laughs> British.
2: <laughs> yeah. So Fred is eerily confident and denies involvement when arrested by Will. A white officer intercepts fred at the department and throws up the cyclops hand sign will is friends with the newspaper man you always got to be nice to your newspaper man and the watchman and he's reading action comics number one which is about the introduction of superman when he is bumped by fred will goes back to question the police clerk about fred and the hand sign and the guy is in denial, he says, I think you're having memory problems, Miss Officer Reeves, which is funny given the, the nature of this episode. Mm-hmm. Will's walking down the street and three white officers want him to get a beer with them. He denies them. They follow him to an alley and beat him. Then they begin to lynch him before cutting him down. As a warning, Will is hooded with a noose around his neck and then... This is one of the moments when it changes to Angela. So we get to see Regina King react to this circumstance, which is pretty powerful. Yeah. And as he stumbles home, he finds a couple getting mugged and Hooded Justice is born. He puts the hood on. He savagely beats the muggers and he returns home to June.
3: Yeah, he doesn't return home to June. He goes to June's place. They don't live together yet. No, he, they're not married yet. He sleeps on the sofa. No, she's a reporter there. They're not connected yet.
2: So he admits that he is angry. He wakes up at 3 p.m. the next day. She's already gone to work and come back. And she brings the paper home, which features an article discussing a masked hero. She asks him about trust in the law, which is his favorite film, the silent film we see in the beginning of the first episode with Bass Reeves. And June tells him, you ain't going to get justice with a badge, Will Reeves. You're going to get it with that hood. And if you want to stay a hero, Townsfolk going to need to think one of their own under it. And she puts white makeup around his eyes. So this is really just tremendous, Dad. The way that they took this mystery of hooded justice, the only character who's never revealed his true identity, and created this new backstory that... Definitely, I'm pretty sure Alan Moore was not even considering for the purposes of this show.
3: Yeah, but it's completely plausible. It, it doesn't. It doesn't negate anything that's come before. It's very did, well done.
4: Did, did the original Hooded Justice have blue eyes, though? We never saw his eyes. Never saw his eyes even. Okay, so they're okay because you had pitched this early on as the plausible outcome for who Hooded Justice would be.
3: Yeah, it seemed to be this is the way it was going pretty much from the beginning. That's what they wanted us to think. I mean, I was pretty much sold on it the minute that I saw in the episode, you know, before when Will stands up from the wheelchair at at Lady Truce. Like, okay, fine, he's Hooded Justice. Got it, (laughs) got it, you know. There was a
1: little um, Batman Year One vibes, to Any comic book reader who's read that uh, Batman Year One, there's a little bit of those vibes to the whole to the whole being uh attacked by his own uh cops and 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 almost being hung and and right. being threatened and worn like that. It reminded me of what happened to Jim Gordon, because he was one of those do gooder uh, dudes in his first uh, year of being a cop and they and then people were and there were a lot of corrupt cops in Gotham and they were just like, oh no, nah, we don't we don't want that. So they were trying to beat him up with bats and stuff like that. So it kinda reminded me of that. That whole vibe and then the whole but the justice situation that reminded me of the Batman thing.
3: Yeah. I don't remember if I said this on the first episode, Anthony, but it's really important to um to note that uh Will Reeves was a real black lawman. He was he was a real person. He really existed. Bass Reeves. Bass Reeves, sorry. And they Bass
4: made, and the they Marshall.
3: Made, and they a very, very um uh, early days of silent movies, there was a black filmmaker who made a film about Will Reeves that is in the Library of Congress. You can actually find it. It's not the same way that it's presented in Watchmen. But, but, uh, and the thing about Bass Reeves is he's uh, he's one of those people who got ex- his, his exploits got exaggerated before the days of cameras being everywhere. So he's also become a figure of tall tale and American myth and legend, but he really did exist.
2: So Will tracks the Crooked Cops to Fred's Market in Queens, which turns out to be a Cyclops headquarters. Ink spots says, I don't want to set the world on fire, very slowly, melodically plays as he enters through the back door and savagely beats them in their clan attire. He finds a map covered with locations and a book called Mesmerism for the Masses. The fight spills into the store and Fred shoots at Hooded Justice as he dives out the front window. So it's very interesting and it's a result of the Cyclops' influence that this second appearance by Hooded Justice is so misunderstood. They changed the narrative to him diving in and stopping a robbery, whereas he was actually breaking out and obviously all the clan. Cyclops stuff just wasn't mentioned at all. So that's a great way I- to bend the rules here a little bit. Mm-hmm. Time freezes at this point and Lori approaches Angela. She's hovering in midair surrounded by glass. They have hit her with a shot of adrenaline to try to wake her up. And they have Cal read her facts about her life over and over again. She seems to resist. I'm not sure if she's has any will in this. She <laughs> obviously is uh-huh. very high. But she she cries and goes back to the memories. We see Nelson Gardner come to see Will and June, who are now married. The way he looks at Will when he just like touches his hand, it was a little. I mean, it was tipping their hand a little bit. Mm. But obviously, <laughs> yeah. we all know what's going on here. Gardner is recruiting for the Minutemen. He's pretending to not be <laughs> Captain Metropolis, but June is not fooled by this. And he is deduced that Reeves is connected to Hooded Justice. Will asks about Cyclops, and Gardner offers true companionship and helping before he leaves. Gardner says, something tells me they have a lot in common. Their hands touch, and next scene, they're fucking... (laughs) Yeah.
3: And, and, and the cut, the cut is, is June looking at Will and saying no. And then it cuts to Nelson being taken from behind going, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Um, and so one of the one of the other things that it sets up is the ambiguity of how June sees her husband. They don't go into a lot of explanation here. They're letting us do a lot of sort of assuming and intuiting, but we are led to believe from the very beginning that June understands him really, really well. Right. And it, it being the late 1930s and people not having a lot of choices, whatever it is that she knows about him um she's willing to take on and marry him and have a child with him um but it also appeared to me that she was as much opposed to him having anything to do with nelson because of hooded justice as much as i see you're attracted to him don't go do this One hundred percent. it read both ways to me absolutely
4: la yeah,
1: yeah that's how i felt the same way yeah on, like in on it
3: at all Huh. She knows how to read a scene. Yeah. Huh. I mean, she
1: wasn't all in on the messaging of him being a symbol for something for for their
4: people. And, I I read it as like she. It, it. I read it as it just fundamentally made sense to her that he should be a loner, that he wasn't going to get the oh. kind of teamwork from a white partner
5: <laughs> that.
4: <laughs> They were going to be getting from him, you know. That the 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 relationship wasn't going to be truly reciprocal. As we learn later, it won't be because she just has a fundamental distrust of white people and their motives. Right. That's at that's least true too. You know, that's her message right from the scene in the bar following the um, graduation scene. So I don't know. I mean, you know, it's it's the 1930s, right, that we're right. talking about here. You know, it was just, it was a jarring scene just just in terms of like how how two people would make that leap that quickly. It's like you're like, this guy's a goofball. ball. Like, how, why is he even going? Why is he even taking the meeting?
0: Yeah,
1: he
4: seems like, uh, right?
0: <laughs> like just hard to take seriously.
4: I mean that guy was a joker, Gardner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, dude, like, I it was hard to even know how to take that character because he was such a goofball. And now, did he ring true to Captain? Is Captain Metropolis a real character?
2: He is, but he's we know very little about him. Honestly, he's in maybe two scenes in the in the comic. Okay, we don't have a. Tremendous sense of his personality, like we do with the others,
4: because we've heard about a lot of other characters.
2: He is the organizer, and we'll talk about him, I guess, a little bit in the the PDpedia. His will and testament is mm-hmm. featured there. Mm-hmm. So while they're pillow talking, Will is worried about joining the Minutemen and being discovered. Gardner says he should remain masked at all times, and then he. Like Dale Petey wants to wear the mask during sex. Mm-hmm. It's the only way to get it up <laughs> is you put your mask on. Will tells June he needs help to take down Cyclops. And June asked to hear about the first time Will saw her. And we learned that June is the baby.
0: Yeah, that was an insane... I di- wasn't expecting that reveal for sure.
2: June wow. is the baby. <laughs> It was the biggest question I had for so long, and we're all relieved to know that the baby made, made it. it and it's June. <laughs> yeah. And also, June is going to have a baby, and that's going to be Marcus Abar.
4: Yeah, and she's a force of nature, too.
2: Will prepares to share his information on Cyclops, but at the big Minutemen debut, he is cut off by Metropolis who brings up Moloch. Will uses the catchphrase vast and insidious conspiracy, which will make its way throughout the Watchmen. There's a time lapse as Marcus begins to grow up that I thought was really well done, where they just pan the camera back and forth across the apartment and years go by. And Marcus watches his father put on the makeup. The Cyclops file has gotten really thick. And Will goes to the Capitol Theater where a riot has broken out. He learns from a woman inside that there was a bright light flashing and then heard voices inside her head inspiring violence. Will sees men's... I wrote wrote sneaking here. He's not sneaking at all. There's a man walking out the back door (laughs) with a projector. Yeah. (laughs) Not worried about getting caught at all. No. (laughs) And Will follows them to a warehouse where he calls Gardner, who mocks, belittles, and ignores him. This is really... Brutal, but he's also yeah. open to a booty call if you want to come by later. <laughs> Dude, that was
0: like, I oh my God. <laughs> so mad. I was
2: so mad in oh, that moment. He
4: said, that's not our cup of tea. You're going to have to handle black unrest all yeah, on your own. That was rough.
2: Fred is there and he notices Will in the phone booth, but doesn't recognize him and offers him free steaks. Will, once deducing that it's Fred's warehouse, shoots Fred in the head, puts his hood on while still wearing his police uniform, goes inside and kills all the members of Cyclops. And discovers the mesmer crystals before burning the building to the ground. We're treated to Eartha Kitt singing a a beautiful version of
3: "Smoke Gets in Your Eyes," and it's the whole goddamn song. It underplays the entire scene as you watch him kill everybody and then set the place on fire and then watch it burn. Yeah. I was, I was again. the The music supervisor on this show is um, yeah
4: did a great job. Yeah, did a great job music was beautiful
2: while he's watching the the warehouse burn there's Flashbacks to young Will in the field were the flashbacks to young Will acceptable this week? The
3: reason I was able to go with those flashbacks is because it's Angela that is experiencing this, and so all the irregularities I was ready oh, to right. sort of right. chalk up right. to, this okay. is nostalgia coursing through her veins. So any yeah, she, anything they nice want to do, nice little scapegoat. Yeah, I yeah was, it's a much better catch-all. I think
4: she's never seen, and there's a because she took them all at once. There's the one memory encroaching on the other, so the mother is always there playing the piano. The the
3: piano was like in
4: color, right? And she's kind of creeping in in a lot of scenes. That was a beautiful detail, um, (laughs) and right out of pale horse in color during the black and white stuff. So, um, I thought that was very effective. So, I did, I thought. You know, just the way they would replay those little scenes to within the scene. So like when we saw when she was talking about tell me when you first met me and they showed him picking her up in the field, uh, yeah. the scenes from Black Wall Street. I thought all of that was super effective in this episode. Yeah. It gave it, you know, it added to the trippiness, the, the bad trip of the whole experience for her, even though she it was funny like what, what what was willing and what was just happening to her it was it was just, she definitely seemed glad to be there if you will
1: yeah it goes back to the whole theme of uh, legacy and learning about your family even though yep. sometimes you don't want to um which she had shown a lot of reservations through, throughout the earlier parts of the season yeah. but this wasn't it of my life Yeah. This was a necessary experience for her. And, and that's like, that's what makes this episode so powerful because it it just attacks so many different aspects of it. Uh, to Walter's point earlier about the the homosexuality aspect, uh, the race aspect and just the, the theme, uh, Jake, like you mentioned, identity. I think it's just understanding who you are and what your motivations are as a person I yeah. think it hit all of those themes, and I think that was just so important to see, um, especially with like I always say, like in a in a he, in a superhero show, it's just so cool to see them attack stuff like that, and it uh, it's not campy <laughs> at all in any yeah. way, and it's just like it's very uh, it's very uh, adult and and, yeah. and more real.
4: You know, I, I found myself wondering today. If all these kind of white conservatives hate this show because it's just like too woke, <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's just like taking on all the woke tropes, putting them <laughs> in one narrative. <laughs> like, can I just watch some fucking superhero movie show or what, man? What?
1: Now they're gay? They're all they're all gay in the pot. too. <laughs> I know.
4: Trigger warning for conservatives. <laughs> Oh, that's
2: great can i get more of this joe Keane? i like this joe Keane character can we get a backstory on him <laughs> oh boy when will returns home with a projector he discovers marcus putting on the makeup and dressing up like hooded justice this leads to a fight between june and will and june decides to go back to tulsa and tells will to leave them alone so something that i just thought of was this was him putting on the makeup and dressing up like hooded justice could that be like an allegory for like acting gay see that's uh, i
3: There's no definitive answer. All I can say is that there is that June, in particular, with her actions towards the way Will responds, I'm seeing a definite connection between his anger and his repressed homosexuality. Um, uh, And what is it she says? She says something like, "I thought this would, I thought this would solve your problem or your." She says something, but it it only
0: fed into it. It only fed
3: into it. yeah. Yeah. But yes, yes, exactly. But it's so interesting to me. It's to drop the gay shit into the middle of this with no Mm. before and no after it's got Mm. nothing else to do with anything else felt really narratively clunky to me other than the fact that they wanted to, that there are hints of it in the original Watchmen text that are never explored
2: or gone into any depth at all. Isn't it, is it, is it Hollis that says it? Yes. And then Sally mentions it as well.
4: Right, is, it, right. is it a hint or – because the show, was it last week? It was last week's episode, right, of, of American Hero that had had them having – justice was having sex with the right. other guy.
3: One of the things that I think is one of the narrative powers of this show is that people and sources of information, the source can be suspect or crazy yeah. or weird, but it doesn't make what they're saying untrue and that, right. that they keep doing this over and over in the show and i'm just wondering okay this is fascinating so so you really never know who you're supposed to be believing for absolute truth cuz you can't base it on how upright or upstanding they are that's not it you can't base mm-hmm. it on whether they're doing it just for ratings or something and then it really goes over the top in the pedia this week when they do a whole gossip columnist about lady true yep. with there's no reason even to bring that up unless you want us to think some
2: of that stuff is true. It's just interesting. the way. Is it true or is it lady true?
3: True. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Stop.
2: You should be slapped. Okay. (laughs) No, but I know what you mean, dad, about the, the clunkiness. I feel like they executed the origin story of Hooded Justice extremely well with the, the lynching. But then they have to abide by this alleged homosexuality with Captain Metropolis. And like the the way that that kind of fell flat was I find it hard to believe that Gardner would be able to locate him that easily and then no one else would well yeah that's all yeah absolutely and then that he would reveal his identity to gardner it's like uh, okay yeah, like that uh, this was all yeah
4: that's what i said why would he well, jump we in did so have quickly it
0: in like memory form so it's like we don't know the timeline across like what like how the development of their relationship spans like because we got it you know back to back but like it could have like happened over time True. too
2: well, this is how the show is doing it. Whereas I'm saying, like in the graphic novel, there's a whole thing they ignored, where that Hooded Justice was kind of Sally Jupiter's beard, or Sally Jupiter was his beard. Right, right. And they just dropped that plot line entirely. So yep. they're 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 trying to abide by certain things that happened, while also introducing this new narrative of the race element, which I think for the most part they do really well. But they're you're you're right with this gardener thing kind of adding a wrinkle that that's making it tougher for everybody
3: well and it's also it's also you know when when good storytellers write you know narrative one hour television and they they need you to be able to pick up on certain elements and then you have to do as the viewer you have to do the work yourself and they don't spell out Will and June's relationship for us they, they don't tell us they don't show them falling in love they don't they just sort of say they've known each other a long time oh by the way she was the baby they've known each other forever she the baby she the baby and then all of a sudden they're married but you don't see what it is you don't see what the reasons why they're married is yeah it's it's not crucial mm-hmm. it's not crucial but because you didn't see the formation of the relationship happen it also is kind of jarring when you see the relationship explode and June leave and take the kid. And then in the final, you know, Angela montage when she's coming out of it, when she says, and do not come to Tulsa and you're not going to see your kid again. It's like, yeah. wow, that's yeah. really intense.
4: Mm-hmm. And yeah, that know? was a big jump. That was a big jump because she seemed to be, I mean, it, initially she was a kind of partner in the right. decision. She encouraged him in this direction. She came up with the makeup that becomes the mirror for Angela. And it was a big emotional shift at that moment. Now, this guy is operating fundamentally alone in this world. His team is just an idea. They're not really on the same team because they're not helping him solve the Cyclops problem. Right, right. And that's really the only problem he cares about. And you would think there would he would be aligned with June on that, on resolving that in some fashion. So I was just assuming she was in on not you know at least Mm -hmm. aware of what he was doing the whole time, and how mentally taxing. I mean. We all know the superhero trope is that you're kind of like with especially with somebody like Batman, who seems the most analogous character to Hooded Justice, it's a dark spiral downward. You're not moving upward toward resolution. The more right. you go in, the darker it gets. Right. And I thought his reaction to his son was kind of the classic parent move, which is I want a better life for you than what I'm dealing with, what right. I'm living. With. You know what I mean? And yeah. I just, I don't, don't take this on, you know, it's not a game, right? He knows more than anybody, the stakes involved because it begins with him being hung. Right. You exactly. know, I mean, it begins with a lynching, no matter that it was interrupted. It was still a lynching. Right. Right. And he wears the symbols of that lynching as a result. And he sees his son taking it on as a costume because he doesn't – he's not living that same experience. Mm-hmm. Right.
3: Yeah. I would not be surprised if if the uh, Lindelof sits down for the first time and says, Watchman, huh? What can I do? I would not be surprised if his brain started with Hooded Justice. It all started right there and then he built it out from that. Because the issues once you once you decide that that guy who you don't know who his identity is mm-hmm. is a black mm-hmm. man, it's like all the things about race are born from that and mm-hmm. then I yeah. mean and, he, and he'll probably tell us I mean you know he usually
4: us yeah. everything you know, he, yeah, yeah.
2: We cut to old Will by the side of the road as Judd blows out his tires. His flashlight has the mesmer crystals in it. And he gets Judd to wheel him out to the tree and hang himself.
3: Okay. I, you know, that's just not how it works. That's not... It, it, it I know it sounds stupid to be making a point about a, a, a TV series <laughs> that is a comic book series. Yeah. Guys, that's not how mesmerism works. You can't yeah. have someone, you can't make someone do something against their will, especially to harm themselves. It's Wait
4: not a minute though. But but If you re- if you recall in when he breaks into the warehouse and he gets into the the production space, and that guy is reciting the narrative Uh, that's going to be played, he is, it, it struck me, there's this whole Project Monarch thing going on, right? That it's mind control. And he was saying, he was instructing them not just to beat each other, but then to harm themselves, Right, now, right. I found all of this to be the most far-fetched aspect of the whole episode, but more far-fetched than the projectors in the movie theaters was this powerhouse flashlight.
2: <laughs> Technology's come a long way since the propaganda films <laughs> in the 50s. Did you see the look on Judd's
4: face, though,
2: when <laughs> light was flashing got- him? Don Johnson
3: threw away Damn. all of his goodwill in oh acting in that god. scene. It was like, "Oh my <laughs> god. Because, this, because there were they gave him something that was unplayable. There was nothing oh, you could do with it." You this, know,
4: yeah. this got really goofy. <laughs> it got when they're walking and he's just holding the light over his shoulder. You're like, "Okay." Well,
0: and also because like w- the part that I sort of didn't that that I couldn't buy into was like it even worked on Judd when he was just flashing it towards his head like not even he wasn't even looking at it you know like at one point like judd turns his head to like turns around to like go like you know throw the rope around the tree or something and he's just pointing it at judd but it's like the back of judd's head like he's not even looking at the strobe light anymore but he's still effectively being mind controlled
1: that just felt like one of those things where (laughs) they just decided to be like okay this is the revenge angle this is the power powerful will gets his revenge uh continuing on that theme of just, uh, disdain for the white man in general. And they just decided to do that without like looking at the, well, I'm saying realistic, but quote unquote, realistic, uh, terms of the whole flashlight situation, which I would agree was a little (laughs) bit, uh,
3: out there. It required. It required a willing suspension of disbelief. I was unable to muster. And and where where, so <laughs> a where great way to put it? Getting,
4: where are you getting the rules of the mesmerism, Walter?
3: Well, all you have to do is go look mesmerism up, dude. And then, you know, it, <laughs> you know oh, it's really? you could <laughs> just look it up. There's Wikipedia dot com. <laughs> Wikipedia entry or
4: a Wikipedia entry. As, Mesmerism, mesmerism.com mesmerism is a thing it's a real
3: thing it's what hypnosis is yeah. based on it was named after a dude named mesmer who came up with it and oh. there, and principle and the principles of mesmerism and hypnosis there are certain things about it that actually do work but one of the foundations is you can't make someone do something that they were not already do if they weren't if they weren't uh mesmerized so uh, you can't make like someone just super
0: something. persuasion Correct, like because it's like yeah. something that, like, you're bringing out something that they already wanted
3: to do. Probably right. they just and it's a, couldn't,
0: like, and it's let a, the filter down for.
3: It's a highly focused and and guided form of meditation, is what it is.
4: Oh, interesting. So it's not mind control.
3: It is not. There is no such thing as hypnotic or mesmeristic mind control. I you need like,
4: drugs for that. Feel like yes, please. This was a. Part of the Sirhan Sirhan story, though.
2: The flashlight?
4: Mesmerism. I gotta look back on it.
2: When Will clicks the flashlight off, instead of punching him in the face, Judd says, Hey, what? Where am yeah. I? What's happening? <laughs> and then he says, I'm trying to help you people. You don't know what's happening here. We don't. We really don't. <laughs> Judd does not appear to be 100% bad. We're still not sure. He says the clan robe was his grandfather's. And he thinks he should be allowed to keep it.
4: What did he say? It's my legacy or it's my heritage? Legacy.
2: legacy. He said legacy. He said he legacy. Legacy. Yeah. legacy. So that
4: was disturbing. And certainly you people was disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> that, like, didn't, I, that didn't I, I, indicate I'm, mild I'm, racism just to me. Slight, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you people it's, it's always been a problem
0: we're supposed to think that um will has like there, he has more on Judd than just that interaction right because like based on just that interaction it it i mean it seems like he already planned to kill him no matter what the, how the interaction went
2: right he seems to have tracked the Cyclops organization all the way to John.
0: Oh, okay. That's, yes. that's what yes. the connection that we were supposed to make was. Yes. Okay. He throws
2: up the sign right at the end. And he says, I know you. Oh, yeah, that's says, right. And he says, go hang yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go do yeah. that. <laughs> Angela's reality begins to crumble a little bit. All the memories are starting to overlap. And then... June approaches, turns into Grandma June, and says, I'm taking you out of here. Angela awakens with a serious drip connected to her arm in Lady True's vivarium.
4: That was some serious audiophile speaker cord IV going on there. Did you see that?
2: It was a full wrap, full band (laughs) wrap around the the forearm with two serious ass tubes coming out of it. Wow. Wow there's like three inch cables <laughs> but it did the job
1: I just got
2: that. lady true <laughs> puts down the fountain head and says oh hi there welcome back i love hong chow's <laughs> delivery in that she's great so that closes out that episode like i said not too complicated but lots of heady heavy stuff and a little bit of clunkiness as it relates back to the graphic novel but on the whole, very good, very visually stunning, mm-hmm. and we finally have our confirmation that that Will is in fact Hooded Justice, which they've been setting up since day since the very first scene of this show.
4: Yep. Yeah, and I think for me, it was clarification to now that we have two opposing sides, yeah, working. You know, basically to foil the other. Now, whether 7th Cavalry is aware of Lady True's mission is is unclear, but it seems that knowing Will Reeves, the reason we're on this timetable for the clock being ready in a couple of days is to foil whatever the 7th Cavalry's plan is.
1: Oh, yeah. You know what's funny? As good as this episode was, the there was I, I missed Vite. I missed my Vite scene.
4: Ah, <laughs> it would have been weird, though. It yeah, would have been
1: definitely. weird. But I missed it, though, I gotta admit.
4: Absolutely. I always miss the Vite. It's just so dude. great. We might get double Vite next episode, though. <laughs> I feel like we
0: need a whole Vite episode.
4: Because <laughs> we've missed a whole year.
2: <laughs> you can't make an omelet without breaking a couple of eggs. So it's Easter
5: egg time. Just give me all the bacon and eggs you have. Wait, wait. I worry what you just heard was give me a lot of bacon and eggs. What I said was give me all the bacon and eggs you have.
2: Do these eggs. Let's crack these eggs. <laughs> Not as many Easter eggs in this episode. No? But there were a few. In the American Horror Story, the FBI agents mentioned finding evidence behind Gardner's painting of a white horse. We know that Judd had a painting of a white horse that was symbolic as well. Samuel J. Battle, Lieutenant Battle, was a real person, the first black police officer in New York City. Turns out that Hollis Mason and Will Reeves graduated from the police academy in the same year, in 1938. And there are several other similarities made in the episode between those two. Hollis was also a fan of action comics, number one and Superman. And they both turned down beers from fellow officers to concentrate on their own activities for Hollis. He would be too busy working out in the gym late at night. Eden, you can relate. I'm sure (laughs) totally turned down beers to, to get back in the gym for another sesh during the fight. In Fred's grocery store, this is my favorite thing that I picked up on. Will tosses a criminal into a lettuce display.
4: So which good. brings
2: to mind the lettuce from the back of the 7th <laughs> Cavalry's pickup truck. Gardner, a.k.a. Captain Metropolis, reveals the same dollar bill National Bank poster we saw at the Cavalry Cattle Ranch in episode one. June is reading Dorothy and the Wizard and Oz to Marcus The movie that's playing at the theater is The Secret Life of Walter Mitty from 1947, which is a movie about a man who gets lost in his daydreams where he has secret identities. Not terribly significant, but somewhat significant. And then Lady True is reading The Fountainhead. Oh, God, that's perfect. (laughs) On the nose. The PDPedia this week has a memo written by none other than Laurie Blake And the interesting thing this week is that the two memos that we get are immediately following the events of the episode. So it actually relates directly to the episode in a way that hasn't necessarily happened before. You were joking, Jake, about how the writers of the PDPedia aren't staying true to the tone of the show. (laughs) And that is completely different. And this one, this is definitely written by whoever wrote Lori's lines yeah pd i read your fucking <laughs> memos a little weird considering you could just turn to me and say any slash all of this shit when <laughs> we are currently occupying the same physical space but why do that when you could write an 80 page essay and zap it off to all of our co-workers instead so we learned she sent pd to wade's house to pick him up which i'm sure we'll see next episode once the cavalry is done that's good news, right? Hopefully, yeah. He needs some backup, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah and we definitely. haven't seen Petey. Lube Man, you know, can can light it up with his oil, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Lube Man to the rescue. I need more answers on Lube Man. <laughs> well, we found out who the baby is. She the baby! She the baby. I think we'll figure out who Lube Man is, and then all the mysteries will be solved. Wait a minute, does that mean, does that mean Lube Man is not the baby?
0: Yeah, I guess we've... Cross well, that off we, the board. We, there's
2: that, yeah, no, no Lube way. Man
0: did
4: not have June boobs. June is moving no like that. <laughs> okay, Well, good.
0: I don't know. Techn- you know, you know, technology has evolved a long way. They could have biotech. Oh my but, she God. Had the, but Lube Man did not have boobs. Grandmas <laughs> okay. need
2: lube. We know she that. Didn't, she didn't have <laughs> boobs either, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, where did that go? <laughs> what is happening? You drove me there. I just, <laughs> I just had to <laughs> say it wow we learned angela kept talking while od'ing on nostalgia kids call it waxing by the way yeah and laurie recorded it so laurie was essentially able to learn everything that we learned this episode she says funny story i actually thought hooded justice might have been my dad at one point oh wait it's not funny at fucking all and then she learns about cyclops best i can tell it's yet another kkk spinoff which Crawford was most certainly a member. They're the ones who developed a mind control tech back in the forties, fifties. So I need y'all to go through the archive and find me everything you can on them. Call it a hunch. But if Cyclops and the seventh cavalry aren't directly related, they're at least kissing cousins. Yeah. So Lori's on the case and I wonder how much of that we'll, we'll pick up with when in the next episode, but they're doing a lot of their work here on the PDPedia. The next one is the will of Nelson Gardner from May 31st, 1971, which is retrieved by Petey. He gives a little background. And we learn that Gardner died in 1974 in a car accident and his head was never found. Oh, my God. Weird loose end there. (laughs) God, I hope hope his head shows up. (laughs) Oh, my God. But Jake, Captain Metropolis organized the Minutemen in the 40s with... Sally Jupiter's agent, so they were the two main forces behind the Minutemen coming together, and then he tries to run it back and come up with the Crime Busters in the late '60s, mm. which includes the comedian once again, the uh, Laurie Blake, Doctor Manhattan, Rorschach, and Night- the second Night Owl. So he's always trying to like get everybody together to fight crimes.
4: So Metropolis is able to recruit Dr. Manhattan into the crew?
2: It doesn't work out. The second oh, the second okay. group falls apart almost immediately. Yeah. And they kind of go their separate ways. And then shortly after that, the Keen Act comes in.
4: I mean, because Metropolis seems more interested in fame and fortune than he does in actual crime fighting.
2: Exactly. Right?
4: Because yeah. the the thing he wants, he his, the thing they're trying to foil is so supernatural is to be ridiculous. And then he wants to show off their sponsorship at that press event they did, right? When he shuts uh, Will down, when he tries to talk about the vast insidious conspiracy that is actually a problem.
2: Yeah, he's very much old money, rich kid preppy douchebag type who's who is not really interested in doing the right thing but only for accruing the the fame and the the glory that come from it right so we learned that Gardner hadn't seen Reeves since 1955 and last heard from him in a letter postmarked from San Francisco in 1966 that objected to Gardner talking to Vite. it was interesting they mentioned Vite specifically I'm still holding out for that Irons, Lewis Gossett Jr., Clash. And Gardner is leaving all of his money and everything to Will. And it's basically a belated apology from Gardner, who obviously feels guilt and sees that Will was in a real fight that he did not help with. The most interesting thing from this was that they eventually did track down Will At a movie theater in Harlem, which is most likely the Capitol Theater, which is the one where the riot took place. Right. Huh. Interesting. The last article is the Lady True Factor Fiction article from October 2018. She's never given an interview. She sent everybody in the Oklahoma region HDTVs. Could there be... Be a more obvious plant. They were listening.
5: Uh, legal and comms wanted you to be aware that maybe we shouldn't go with uh, ATN. We're listening. Oh, uh, okay. I mean, I really do like we're listening. It sounds like. I mean, it sounds like we're listening. No, sure. It's just yeah. yeah it's just um. There's apparently in the EPG on the set top boxes, the voice activation mode. Uh, it does. Um, like, there's a gray area in terms of our data collection so that we are kind of like, uh, we, we actually are listening. We're listening? It's complicated, but, but yeah, it seems that we are sometimes, uh, listening quite aggressively. We are listening? Yeah, but it's just to, like, maximize the user experience. But if that was to break, maybe... Oh, fuck! So, yeah. So, uh, the question is, is it a smart thing for you to be saying we're listening when, when we are indeed listening? Why was I not aware of this? Well, it's basically legal, the guy said, but he didn't want to put that in an email, so. So What am I going to call it now? I don't know, maybe uh, uh, they suggested we hear you. Is that any better? We tested this, Greg. Hot damn.
2: She's got bugs on those, or she's got something that'll come back into play. Oh yeah. You just give everybody tech and they just take it with open arms. That's never a good sign. We learned that Lady True's mother was named beyond as well. Lady True chose her own name at the age of five, chose a third century freedom fighter. She got four PhDs by the age of 15. She became a billionaire off the success of Nostalgia. So Nostalgia was her big cash cow. And then she turned her attention to space exploration. There's a rumor that the comedian could be her father, which they just threw out there. Because why not? Why not have (laughs) Lori and Lady True have the same dad in a fucked up way Mm -hmm. we also learned that she brought back synthetic lithium and built the cameras over mars that watched dr manhattan as well as funding a commission to prove he didn't cause cancer in the 80s and then one of the last things is they speculate that the millennium clock is a time machine because why not yeah why not indeed that would be cool so yeah, a lot of misinformation in this one in particular, Dad. This last article. I mean, why throw this stuff out if if one of them isn't going to be true? Yeah. So that's the whole point of it. It's,
3: uh, and we're just gonna, yeah. It. I love. I love their exploration of that because because you know one of the big big themes that's going on in the world right now is if you can make people believe that there is no truth. Then you can get away with doing whatever you want, um, and so this is you know talking about fake news and disinformation and, and and campaigns to campaigns to basically cloud people's minds because people are lazy and aren't going to do their homework to figure out what really the truth is. And I'm just fascinated that in a in a, a a fictional context that they would grapple with what I think is a really really important theme for right now, and that it dovetails so well with um you know all the other all the other heavy duty stuff they're dealing with in Watchmen. I I still don't know who's telling us the truth right now. You know, there's still every possibility, although narratively it makes no sense, but there's still every possibility that Angela is not everything she appears to be and that they may have a, a reveal
2: on her as well. Well it looks like next episode we are going to get a little bit of Angela's childhood in Vietnam. Oh yeah? Yeah, that's what it showed in huh. the preview. So
0: like at Cal's accident,
2: we still have so much in the past and in the future to decrypt with this show.
0: I have one thing that that I thought of when you were going through the notes was: um, is the technology that the glass guy uses um, based on mesmerism, or is that like just a
3: different strobe light thing? I'm not making a connection there. He's not trying to make somebody do something. He's simply trying to extract information. Yeah. Yeah. And and his information is extracted by the way that the uh, subject responds to the questioning.
0: Okay. Just a lot of strobe lights going on, you know? Right.
4: Right. I go back to that original pod scene, knowing what we know now, and the fact that nobody in that Nixon Village—I forget what it's called. Nixonville. Nixonville. <laughs> I was so close. Uh, really, could have known anything about what happened to Judd.
2: No, we're way beyond that. And I liked what we talked about last week a lot about how the Seventh Cavalry is actually pretty smart. Yeah, filled with filled with well-educated, resourceful people, and they're not—they're not the the trailer park Hicks like. The world thinks they are.
4: They may employ like those people, show. though, Mays. Sure. Yeah. Because if you think about the scene, I think it was the first episode where the owl came down and they were making that raid. Those guys were that were compiling the lithium batteries look pretty hicky. Those are the grunts. The grunts. That's what <laughs> I mean. They could be in the employ of the Seventh Cavalry. Doing the dirty work. So the head of it, the people we saw in the warehouse, are one thing. But there's a whole bunch more of them scattered about that could be Nixonville people. But we know now that that the the assassination of Judd was not a uh, 7th Cavalry initiative. Mm -hmm. Or so I believe. (laughs) That could change.
1: Well, this is interesting because now that Angela knows this information when she talks to Will eventually, I wonder what her reaction is going to be considering how close they were.
2: So just as we cross off big questions like who is the baby, we have bigger questions like what is the 7th Cavalry doing? The only thing I know for sure So I need to get one of those flashlights. (laughs) (laughs) And that's going to do it for us this week on the TV book club for my guests, Jake Hoy, Eden Liu, Anthony Canton III, and Walter Mays. See you next time for episode seven of The Watchmen.